Well, it's been said that uh, your expectations are the key to your happiness. And many of the expectations that we have are really unfounded expectations of what life should look like. Life is going to be fair. Well, that's not a reasonable expectation, is it? I'm going to find opportunities given to me and placed in my lap. Again, it's not an expectation that's obvious. Or perhaps you have different expectations. Like that people ought to like you. Or that people ought to agree with the things that you say. It could be all sorts of different uh, expectations that you have in life. But the old mathematical equation is true. Happiness equals the reality over the top of your expectations. If you're not a maths person, just have lower expectations. That's how it works. Or so it seems to be. When it comes to the Christian faith, though, what are your expectations? There are many who would believe that if we can just find God and put him in our life, that that's going to make everything better or it's going to make everything more comfortable or it's going to make everything easier or it's going to make everything fill in the gap. It's usually a good word, isn't it? Better, easier, more comfortable. But that's not what this passage talks about. See, what are your expectations for the Christian life? If you're already here today and you've put your trust in Jesus already, what are your expectations for your Christian life? Once again, we enter into the upper room with Jesus. These words that he speaks just as he's going to the cross. And the disciples who are in the room with him are troubled. We found that out in chapter 14, verse 1. And they're troubled for an obvious reason. Jesus is going away to a place they don't know where. And Jesus says, you can't come with me. And then Jesus proceeds to tell them that they will do greater works than he will do because he is going to the Father, chapter 14, verse 12. These greater works are helping people to come to know Jesus and find new and eternal life. Something that Jesus himself makes possible but doesn't do himself. That is why they are greater works. And so he says to his disciples, ask anything you need for the task of doing that and I'll give it to you. Chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And then he says, when you ask, I'll give you. In fact, it will be my father who will give you the spirit of truth. As the back end of chapter 14 told us. And then as we saw last week, the way to make sure this Work, the greater work that Jesus has called his people to will be fulfilled is to stay connected to Jesus, the life source of the vine. But now he turns to the reality of what it's going to be like with him going away. And it's not easy. The world will hate the disciples. And Jesus is here to teach both those disciples in the upper room and us about just how hard the Christian life might be so that we might set our expectations right and that we might live in this world as he has asked us to do. And so we're going to need to steal ourselves this morning. This is not one of those happy messages, those uplifting ones, but it is good news for us, as we'll see in a moment, because Jesus has chosen to tell us in advance about the expectations we should have of the Christian life. 
Uh, as always, you might like to ask a question later on, straight after the sermon. Slido.com's a place to go on your device. Hashtag is HBSP, Helensburg, Stanwell Park. So if you want to ask a question, please do that and I'll answer them later. Let's pray and we'll dive into this section of scripture together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We ask, please, that you would teach and encourage us this morning, shape us, even with these harder words. And we pray, please, that you would uh, steal us, that we might live as your people in this world, uh, ready to serve you in every way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how much of this uh, uh, I'm aware, you're aware of. Uh, I, I hope for the most part I've covered this personally, uh, covered this up in my life for the last 12 years as uh, I have been the minister here. Um, but I'm pretty good at worrying about things. Uh, I maybe haven't covered that all the time, uh, but I've desired to cover it with you. Um, because I'm not worried about the truth of Jesus. I'm not worried about his goodness to me. I'm not worried about any of those sorts of things. And so I've endeavoured as a leader to hide my worry. Why? Because you might think I'm worried about the important things. Like Jesus and what he's done for us. I'm worried that that might not be true. That's, that's not the case. Anything that's in his plan, I'm very, very secure with. But when things seem to feel like they're in my ballpark, I tend to worry. And for me at the moment, I've got plenty to worry about or so it feels. I don't know where I'm going to live soon. I've got to worry about that. I've got to worry about whether or not there's a big change happening in our family, whether that will have a negative outcome for everyone. I'm kind of worried about that. I'm worried that when I jump into this new position in this new role, that I might just get found out and not be able to do it. But I'm working on it. And I'm working on it by, by asking myself this question. What's the worst thing that could happen? Really, what is the worst thing that can happen? I don't find anywhere to live. There's all sorts of uh, uh, contingencies around that. That it's a negative outcome for everyone in my family. What would be the, the worst that could happen there? If I failed in the new position, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, I'd just put my tail between my legs and go and do something else. Not for a minute, though, have I thought, what's the worst that could happen? Death. That hasn't really come across my mind at this point. Neither is persecution, really. And so in the end, what's the worst that could happen? Well, not that much. Not that much, really. But you see, living for Jesus is not easy. This passage says it's going to be difficult. And I don't mean that the circumstances of your life might be difficult. That's true of everyone everywhere, whether you're a believer or not. But this passage says that following Jesus will be difficult because there will be persecution and hatred. And Jesus says to these initial disciples and to us as well, that death is actually a real possibility. Look with me at chapter 16, verse 2. Speaking first of all to these disciples in the room, Jesus says, They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus says to the, the men in the room, upper room with him, Death is a real possibility because you follow me. Now, we have to say that's actually not the case for us, is it? 
It's not really on our to-do list this week. It's not on our radar at all. But in so much of the world, it is the case, isn't it? On this given Sunday, so many Christians around the world wake up today uncertain whether they'll make it to the end of the day. And their decision about coming to church or not is their decision about whether or not they'll live for the rest of the day. Of course, the disciples, all of them, with Jesus in the upper room, all died directly as a result of their faith in Jesus. Even John, who is said to have died of natural causes, they tried to kill him, boiling in a boiling vat of oil, but it didn't quite work, so they exiled him to Patmos instead. That was the best thing they could think to do. And then, of course, there's the characters of history. Guys like Thomas Cranmer, killed under the reign of Bloody Mary for his reformed biblical faith. And then so many named and unnamed believers over the years who have had their lives taken away as a direct result of them following the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus speaks to these first disciples in the room and he says, what's the worst that could happen? And the what's the worst that could happen is death. Actually, that's not true. What's the worst that could happen is not actually death. Sounds like it would be though, right? Surely that's the worst that could happen. Well, not for Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. All these things I have said to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus says the worst that could happen is that you lose your faith. That's the worst that could happen. The worst that could happen is you lose your faith. And I'm telling you to these guys in the room, Jesus says, excuse me, that when this happens, I don't want you thinking to yourself, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. Life should be comfortable. Life should be wonderful. And I don't want you thinking that and falling away from me when things get tough. Look at chapter 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, of course, if we're not in this particular situation, and for the most part, we're not in this country, we need to pause and thank God for that, don't we? But this passage is saying to the disciples in the upper room that they will be put out of synagogues and killed. And the rest of the passage says that the default position for all believers will be that they are hated and persecuted and disliked and outcast and maybe killed. Now, this is really hard, isn't it? If you like to be liked and you like popularity, as so many of us do, this is going to be so difficult for us. And yet we need to understand that for the most part, all we receive is perhaps a few snarky comments at work or at sport or at school or at uni or something like that. And so we must turn to God and thank him. Now, it must be said, this doesn't mean that the Christian person walks into the world with a persecution complex. We're not supposed to walk into the world mistrusting every single person and sort of waiting for the worst thing possible to happen. Expectantly waiting for that person to throw us the right hand of fellowship into our face because we follow Jesus. 
No, we walk with grace into this world. But at the same time, if things are tough and we are persecuted and hated for our faith, Jesus wants this to be known to us so that we're not surprised and we don't fall away because the worst thing that could happen is not actually death, but losing your faith. And Jesus wants us to know in advance that it's hard following Jesus, not because circumstances will be hard, although that will be true, but because if you follow Jesus in this world, people won't like you. So let me ask you that question, a bit of a diagnosis question, a question that I've had to ask myself this week. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Would it be that there's no roof over your head anymore? Would it be that you lose your job? Would it be that your family walks out on you or you have no friends or you lose relationship with your kids or you lose your kids entirely or your body breaks down? What's the worst that could happen? Jesus says the worst thing that could happen is you lose your faith. And so I'm telling you this hard, difficult information so that when it happens, you won't drop your bundle and walk away from me. So, brothers and sisters, know this. The most important thing you have, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, is your faith. The most important thing is that you do not lose your faith in the Lord Jesus. And when hardships and persecution come, this is not the time to walk away from your faith, but to walk towards the Lord Jesus in faith. Well, Jesus has earlier in this passage explained why this is the case. Why is it that Christians are hated? I mean, Christians so much should be like Jesus. And Jesus is loving and caring and generous. And we are supposed to be loving and kind and caring and generous. And so why is it that the world hates Christians? Well, this passage gives us at least three reasons why. Look at the first one there in verse 19 of chapter 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The first reason Jesus gives about why the world hates his followers is because Christians are not of this world. I reckon in this material part of the world, in 2508, where it's so beautiful and wonderful, if there was one thing I could remind you week after week after week after week, I would remind you that because of what Jesus has done for you, this is not your home. Your house is not your home. 2508 is not your home. Australia is not your home. Because this world has so much to offer, doesn't it? And we love it so much. And we love this area and we love this place and we love the people and we love the vibe and we love what it gives to us. And it's not our home if we know Jesus. Jesus, being with him, is, is our home. As Jesus said back in chapter 14, he is going to the cross to prepare a place for his people. That's the home that we await. 
And this passage teaches us, doesn't it, in verse 19, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been chosen to be with him. And as a result, you do not belong in this world. This, this is not your home. And as a result, the world will hate you. But this is so hard because the world around us has so much to offer. And, and we love the approval of others and we want to fit in this world and we really want to live life to the full. Now, many of you have seen this analogy before, and I, I say with, without clarity, uh, with clarity that um, I've stolen it off other people. So that's fine. It's pretty much most of my ministry, actually, just stealing stuff off other people. Uh, but uh, that's how it works. That's what you do. You just actually tweak it just a little bit so that the trademark... Anyway, I'll, I'll explain that to you later. But um, you might have seen this analogy before. Uh, I want you to imagine for a minute... That these are, well they are lotus, yeah. I want you to imagine that one is, is life in this world and one is where we belong with the Lord Jesus. And what many of us want to do is we want to sort of straddle this, this thing and we want to climb up the ladder of life. One more step. And, oh, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, don't worry about that. We want to climb up the ladder of life and enjoy life to the full. And we think we can have both at the same time. We can grow in Christ and keep going further and further. It's fine. I'm still employed here, so it still counts. And we want to go higher and higher. And, and that's, that's how it works. But I'm not going to go any further. Because the, the purpose of the analogy is this. You can't actually climb both ladders at the same time without doing yourself great damage. And that's the nature of it. But that's what we want. We actually want to be a Christian. We want to follow Jesus. We want to call ourselves a Christian, have eternal life and grow in Jesus. But we also want to be members of this world. And this analogy shows us that you can't be in both places at the same time. You can pretend and think that you can. But if you really want to grow in Christ, then it will be impossible for you to live as a member of this world. And so it's important for us. Thanks, Mike. Good man. It's important for us to remember this. I was hoping workers' comp would come in there somewhere, but anyway, it didn't, didn't work. Um, get a better house and all that. Anyway, um, uh, there's, um, uh, this, this is the truth. You are not of this world. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are not of this world. And so you will be hated and persecuted. This is what Jesus says. Now, of course, we have this situation, don't we, where we live in this world. We can't get away from that. But Jesus calls on us here to be reminded that we are not of this world. This is not our home. Our home is with the Lord Jesus. For a vast many of us. We struggle with this because the world in which we live is so wonderful. But I'll remind you again, this is not your home. And because it's not your home, Jesus says you'll be hated. Now think about that for a minute. None of us enjoy that. So what does it make us do? Well, life in this world's already pretty good, isn't it? So we transfer our allegiance even more to the way of this world. We want to run away from the hardship that comes, that comes with belonging to the ladder that belongs to Jesus. Instead, we want, to, 
We want to sit with the world because we love it and because it's trouble free. But it's not the place to go. It's not where eternal life is. It's the ladder that leads to death and destruction and only in Jesus do we have and find eternal life. But along with it, we find hatred and persecution. Brothers and sisters, be prepared for this and choose your ladder wisely. Choose Jesus because he has first chosen you. Secondly, we're told, that this, uh, told in this passage that Christians will be hated because Jesus himself was. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Then again, down in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It's pretty clear, isn't it? A servant is not greater than the master. We've seen already throughout these chapters of scripture that the father and the son are different, but they're one and they're united. And that the son and believers together are one and they are united. And so we should expect the same treatment. That the way the world treated Jesus, eventually putting him on a cross, is the way they will treat the disciples of Jesus if we follow closely with him. And in the end, Jesus says, this is the way they treated the father as well. Now, this is a strange little section, isn't it? It's hard to, hard to read, Bruce, so you did really well because verses 21 to 24 are actually very confusing little verses. Let's have a look there again at those verses. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. This is the bit that's hard to read. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. That's a mouthful and it's confusing, isn't it? It seems to be saying on the surface that if Jesus had never come along, the people of the world would have never been guilty of sin. Well, then surely Jesus should have stayed away. But of course, that's not what he's saying. It can't be what he's saying. That's why he came. That that much is very clear in the Bible. No, what Jesus is saying here, the point of these verses, is that when Jesus comes into the world, he reveals what the world is actually like in relation to the Father. Let me give you another example. It's not a ladder, it's fine. I've got two two bottles here of uh, straight up clear liquid. And... Let me get them open here. Go, 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 go. Two bottles of, of clear liquid. And uh, uh, on the surface, they look exactly the same. But when something comes into the, the clear liquid, it actually reveals the nature of what's actually going on. You might not be able to see this clearly from uh, where you're sitting, and I might not even be able to get this happening, but let's give it a go. Um, so I'm going to introduce something to the bottles, and they will sh- it will show it up as being different. The thing is just... A Mentos. So we put it in there. Nothing happens. Put it in here. And you probably can't see. It's not quite Coke because I wasn't going to ruin the new carpet. But it, uh, it fizzes things up. This is what Jesus is saying. When he is entered into the world, it looks like everything's fine. But what it reveals is that the world hates the Father. 
And, and that's the, the point of the analogy. When something is added in, it reveals, looks the same on the outside, but actually reveals a problem on the inside. And so it is in these verses. Jesus is saying here, it reveals the guilt of the world when I have come in and it shows that the world actually hates the Father. Jesus is saying here, they hate the Father, they hate the Son, and they'll hate the followers of the Father and the Son as well. Thirdly, the world will hate believers because it was predicted that this would be the case. Verse 25, but the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus here quotes various Psalms to this end that show us that the heart of humanity is always bent away from God, not towards God. We are naturally repelled by God rather than drawn to him. He needs to come to us. And so Jesus says, it's going to be hard, guys. He's reminding them that it's going to be difficult. The world will hate the believers because they hated Jesus first. And yet Jesus says, I will not leave you alone in this hostile world. Already in this section of scripture, we've met the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And here we see him appear once again in verses 26 and 27 of this passage. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus will not leave his people alone in a hostile world. He will send his Holy Spirit to be with his people, to be in his people, as we saw last time. And what will the Holy Spirit do? Well, not make everything better. That might be what we want, but it's actually not what Jesus offers. The Holy Spirit is not sent to the believers to make everything better or to help them escape the problem of the hatred of the world. But the Holy Spirit will be present with the people of Jesus to help the people of Jesus walk through it, not to escape it. More than that, to walk into it. Did you notice what the Holy Spirit is going to do here in the hostile world in verses 26 and 27? He's going to help people speak about Jesus even more. <clears throat> in the first case, the case of these disciples in the room with Jesus, they will bear witness about Jesus because they saw him with their own eyes. That, that word witness is... Well, we sometimes use it about evangelism, don't we? Strictly speaking, we don't witness to Jesus. We never saw him. But we point to the good news. That's why we evangelize. We point to the good news that the witnesses wrote down about Jesus. Nevertheless, both are true. The Holy Spirit will inspire us to speak about Jesus in the midst of the hardship, not to run away from it, not to, run, uh, 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 to try and find comfort, but to run into that battle. What a strange thing to say. This is the strength that God provides for his people. Not a strength to run away, but a strength to run into for the good of the people of this world, because that's what Jesus did, wasn't it? Jesus could have run from the cross, but he didn't. And like master, like servant... For the good of the people of this world, we run towards the world to do the greater works that God has called us to do. 
and speak about Jesus even though it will be hard. And so Jesus says this to his friends in the upper room to give them the right expectations. And it's great, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't sell us short or just give us fairy floss for dinner every night in his teachings. But gives us the hard stuff too. He tells us up front that it's going to be difficult. Why? So that we will not lose heart and so that we will not lose our faith because there is nothing more important than your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your expectations of the Christian life. Well, maybe they need to be reassessed to see that it is actually going to be difficult as we hold out the message of Jesus. But in the long run, in the long run, we will be on the right side, not just of history, but eternity, because we sit with the one who died and rose again for us. Well, you might like to ask a question. It's not easy to hear some of these sorts of things, but we're glad that Jesus has prepared us and given us the resilience we need to go into this world. But you might uh, like to ask a question. The instructions are on the screen, and uh, I'm going to come back in about 90 seconds and answer a few questions for us. <clears throat> Alright, as always, please keep asking your questions. If you've got a couple more to ask, you can throw them in the mix. Um, the first is from Alicia. How does the idea of losing your faith or falling away, as the passage puts it, fit with the doctrine of predestination? That's a great question. Um, and uh, I appreciate that question. In lots of ways, we go back to the book of Hebrews for this sort of stuff because the book of Hebrews keeps putting ahead of us real warnings um, to, to not fall away. And there's a sense in which this is obviously a reality that can be can be done, uh, that can be that can actually happen. Um, but I think it's it's uh, these warnings are the way in which God um, uh, works on us uh, to grow us. So what what happens when God puts out His warnings like these ones? When we respond to them effectively, that strengthens our faith. And so. Um, it's not just you're fine and that's everything you're, you're saved that's it don't worry about it uh, there's an exercise of our faith that comes through all of that it is true that God is the one who saves in fact even in this passage it says doesn't it I have chosen you out of the world uh, 
There's, that's already in that passage anyway, and yet he still says what he says. Um, and so I think these two things can, can fit together where the warnings uh, become the, the triggers to strengthen our faith. Um, we don't take them any less seriously because we say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. God's going to do it anyway. No, we strengthen our faith uh, by listening to what Jesus says and taking his, taking his warnings seriously. I think the other thing, though, too, is um, there's no sense in, of, of a definition here of falling away. So it's possible, too, isn't it? And we, we see this in life sometimes that people have hard times in the Christian faith and they wander off for a time. And then they come back. Well, that's ineffective, isn't it? Because we're servants of Jesus. So for the time that we wander off and we're ineffective, well, we're not serving him as we should. So uh, the warnings can serve to, um, the warnings of falling away can serve to hold us in what Jesus uh, wants us to do so that we don't fall away for a time as well. And I think that's a possibility um, in this passage as well. But that's an excellent question. And we could preach a 25-week series on that too. So... Um, I hope the answer is helpful in some ways. Last question. How do I balance my secular job and ladder on the right with the ladder on the left? Um, uh, balance is, uh, I understand where the question is coming from, but in a sense, balance is an unhelpful word because we don't want to balance actually on those two things. Um, so this is a question of identity, really. So what we want to do is we want to understand who we are. Right. So who are we? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you've put your trust in Jesus, then you're a Christian and you're on this ladder and that ladder alone. That's who you are. OK, that's who you are. Problem is that we want to see our identity as in this world as well. And, and, and that's what's hard for us. We straddle this identity problem all the way through. And especially when we know that this ladder over here is going to come with persecution attached to it. So we actually definitely want to be on the other one. Um, so balance is perhaps the wrong word. But of course, uh, as a follower of Jesus on this ladder, we still need to live in the world in which, in the world in which we live. Uh, and so uh, we need to live in this world, uh, but recognize that we don't belong here. We don't make this our home. We don't put down our roots so deeply that we can't uproot them and move to, uh, uh, move to be with the Lord Jesus at any time or space or anything like that. Um, so I think... Um, Maybe removing the word balance might be a helpful way of starting with this and working your job as a job, serving the Lord in that place as a citizen of heaven, as a resident of the kingdom of God. That's the way to think about uh, your life in your job uh, on Monday as well. I uh, hope that helps. Uh, if not, there's always coffee afterwards. Come and talk and we'll chat some more. Let me pray and then we'll sing our final song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through these words of Jesus, you have prepared us in advance for what living for you in this world really looks like. We thank you for that. We thank you for not leaving us in the dark. We thank you for not uh, leaving us to just be surprised that even though you've called us to be loving and generous and kind and like Jesus was loving and generous and kind and when we find that the world dislikes us or hates us, um, we thank you that you've told us beforehand so that we could be prepared for this so that we would not fall away and we thank you heavenly father uh, that uh, you've given us this information and while we understand heavenly father that this is hard for us to hear and difficult for us and challenging for us uh, we ask please that it would uh, cause us all the more to lean upon you and to uh, find uh, comfort in the holy spirit that you've given to us uh, and to find comfort in your people 
who are themselves walking this path uh, uh, with the Holy Spirit, with you along the way. Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you would strengthen our resolve in this world to speak of Jesus clearly and that when that gets hard, uh, you would remind us that this was always going to be the case uh, because we don't belong here. Uh, we belong with the Lord Jesus in his heavenly kingdom, which we long for and we, uh, we look forward to. And we thank you that by his death and resurrection, you've made that available to us. And so we ask that you would entrust, allow us to entrust ourselves again to him today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please stand, everyone.